As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from the Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Stu, we are coming off the first weekend of March Madness. It is always probably the best weekend of college basketball. I know that people love the Final Four, you know, weekend, um, but. Because you get crazy upsets and you get storylines that pop out of nowhere, seemingly. Uh, you were following your alma mater, which fortunately for you was only a couple hour car ride away. Northwestern didn't make it out of the first weekend. What was your experience like being there? First of all, Bruce, the first weekend of the tournament is just unbelievable. It's four days of of craziness. And then, but I, I, I like, I'll watch the whole tournament, but I, I just think the first weekend's the best part. You know, I'm, I'll watch Sweet 16, Elite Eight, I'll watch Final Four, but there's just nothing like it. And if you remember, so Thursday, like two hours into the day, Furman has that crazy ending to beat uh, Virginia. So yeah, it worked out really well. Um, so full disclosure, I have not been to a college sporting event that I wasn't covering. No, that's not true. I did go to a Northwestern football game for homecoming about five years ago. But football, I don't really, I can't, because it's our job and my beat, like I can't really get into Northwestern football as a fan. You know, I just, I follow it like I follow other programs. Basketball, no such reservations. And it's just been crazy to get to go to the tournament. Um, They've only ever made it twice. I got to go to the first round in 2017 in Salt Lake. And then when they got, when the bracket popped up and they were in Sacramento, it was like, of course I got to go to that. Um, but in the 2017 one, I did, I was credentialed in on press row. This one, my buddy and I, we bought tickets for this evening session, you know, in the NCAA tournament, you, they divide it up. I think it's ridiculous, but they divide it into two different sessions. So your ticket only gets you into two games and it just couldn't have worked out better. We get up there. What was the other work- game? So the early session was Missouri, Utah State, and then Arizona, Princeton. 
So our plan was just go to a sports bar nearby and watch games until it was time to go in for the Northwestern session. We get there and it's halftime and Arizona's only winning by one. And I was like, we should try to get, we should try to get in for the second half in case this turns out to be a historic upset. Brokers were obviously just basically giving away tickets at that point. So we got in. When you say, when you say giving away tickets, like how much? 25 bucks. Thank you. 25 bucks to, to get in and, and you could sit pretty much anywhere. Um, those, that's the other secret about first round pods. They're not sold out. Um, and lo and behold, uh, Princeton pulled it off, which was so because we were behind the Arizona basket and Arizona has got some big dudes, right? Like you just keep waiting for them to pull away and they never did. So that was really cool to see that uh, moment of history. Then you have to clear the arena and they let everybody back in uh, or anybody that has tickets to the second session. And that's when all the purple people started showing up. And there were a lot. And I got to give credit to Northwestern alumni. I know we, you know, our school gets a lot of crap for 23,000 people at the home football games. But if it's a bowl game or the NSA tournament, they travel. Um, Pat Fitzgerald was there, saw him uh, on the way in. Uh, Darren Ravel, uh, some other luminaries. Uh, yeah, it was fun. Um, they basically led from start to finish. And, um, it, it, I mean, the, the day just couldn't have worked out any better. Uh, and then we, we went to uh, dinner afterward and then hit the road. I didn't stick around for the, my ticket also got us into the UC, you know, we could have stayed for the UCLA, um, UNC Asheville game. That, that was a massacre. So didn't go back Saturday cause we had a lot of family obligations. In fact, our first uh, softball game of the year was Saturday, Bruce. Um, my, my eight U uh, division coaching debut, which ended in a zero zero tie. But I uh, consider it a win. Must have been gas. Well, the kids pitch, and it's more that the kids are are you know hitting for the first time, not on a tee. Um, but we got the bases loaded one inning. They never got anybody to third, so I consider it a W. And then uh, watch the Northwestern game Saturday night on TV, and I just I I don't think I've ever been more invested in a um, NCAA tournament game. Uh, but it, it I mean it's disappointing they didn't win, but at least it was. They were in it till the end and um, just a cool experience. Um, you did not see as much of March Madness, I believe, as I, I as didn't. we did. You I would like to the 16 over one. That's that's a crazy thing. So I, I saw random bits of the tournament. I probably spent I probably saw like 30 percent of of the games. And so I, you know, I saw the firm and upset. I saw that happen. I saw a bunch of. I saw a bunch of Princeton, right? I watched Alec Pierce's brother post put up like 16 rebounds as a freshman. Um, I think it was yesterday <laughs> or maybe it was two days ago now. It's like kind of blurring together a little bit the whole weekend. But there felt like nothing fluky when they beat Mizzou, right? Um well, you know, the, the crap out of Mizzou. What what I thought was it, what one of the things that I love most about the the first weekend of the tournament is like it's like folk heroes happen right and so purdue i mean purdue princeton's like number eight man is a shooting guard who just came in he i looked i was like this kid only had 18 points last year total he had 17 points in the second half and he was like hitting from deeper and deeper and it's like you're watching it um blake peters he was the kid who like screamed into the camera mm -hmm. you know anything is possible and god bless him because he that's 
way bigger than just basketball, right? Um, but yeah, so so the Purdue FDU thing. So it happens on Friday, and I watch some, and, and Tobin Anderson's a coach at FDU. And you're telling me you, you knew heard, who that was. Well, I knew who it was because of the play-in game oh, for okay. earlier in the week. And Tobin Anderson's locker room speech after they won a couple of nights earlier. I couldn't tell if he had, you know, if he said, I don't want Purdue to hear for this or I want Purdue to hear this because it sounded like he said both. And, you know, I remember the commentators in the studio were like, all right, you know, you don't have to worry about like Matt Painter going to play that as both, but the players are going to hear it, right? Well, obviously the players are going to try to beat them regardless. So I had that in my mind. Well, my, the, the peewee football team, my coach, we have practice on Friday. So I came home um, and I basically flipped my computer up and put on YouTube TV and they played the exact same clip when I started. And I was like, ooh, how bad did they get blown out? And then all of a sudden they were like, they put up the scores like 53 to 48. I'm like, oh my God. I, I was like, this guy not only called his shot, um, but it was like 16-1. Obviously, you know, it's happened once before. And it was like, man, that's a game I probably didn't want to miss. But, you know, that's what happens. And so, um, you know, a, a pretty wild first weekend. And, um, you know, look, this is why we love sports, because crazy stuff happens. We'll see how much more crazy stuff will happen over the next two weeks. Real quick, I got almost nothing right about the, like, my bracket is just done done for. Uh, Who is your final four? Uh, Gonzaga, who's still alive. Uh, Houston, who's obviously still alive, but I lost uh, Arizona on the morning of the first day, and Duke, uh, which I watched yeah. the end of that game in the parking lot after Tennessee the softball game. Them up, yeah, yeah, they did. No, real quick, um, Sam Vecini from the Athletic. So the the scene you're talking about for people who don't know is they they had a, a locker room video where the um, F, uh, sorry FDU <laughs> head coach right says. Now he didn't say it was him. He, I think it got confused that he said, "I, you know, the more I've watched them, I think we can beat them." The he more said, I think we can beat them. The more I watch Purdue, the more I think we can beat them. He was at, but he was actually relaying what one of their assistants said. And he said, and I, I shoot, I don't have the assistant's name in front of me. He's a guy who was only in his like first year as a full time assistant coach. He's like twenty six years old. By the way, shout out to the FDU SID who was a junior in college. Um, he was relaying that, you know, such and such said, the more I watch the the tape uh, of Purdue, the more I think we can beat them. And Sam Vecini talked to that guy, to the assistant, who, first of all, was because he says, he goes, where's such and such? I feel like I should look the guy's name up since we're talking about him so much. All right. So here's the exact quote. I don't want Purdue to see this, but I walked into breakfast this morning and Cam, what'd you say to me, Cam? Where's Merle's? He said to me, the more I watch Purdue, the more I think we can beat them. Let's go shock the world. Cam Merles is the assistant, and he was in the bathroom at the time that he was saying that. Um, but, you know, he explained, he goes on to explain how that, you know, kind of what the plan was and how they beat them. So I got to say, I, I've gotten very little right about this tournament, but I watched a lot of Big Ten basketball down the stretch because of Northwestern. And the whole time I was like, how is Purdue a projected one seed? They have no athletes. They've got this 7 4 center, and basically he's their entire team. Well, this guy said the scouting report was basically, They've got freshman guards. They don't have depth behind them. We press a lot. We've got graduate senior guards. 
you know, we're going to press those guards and, and make them beat us. And they did. And it just goes to show that you always say the NCAA tournament's all about matchups. It really is. Cause I'm reading that and I'm like, well, if it's, if it's that easy, how come the big 10 teams weren't able to do that to Purdue? Um, but he had some good stats in there about, you know, big 10 teams did press them a little bit, but not nearly as much as FDU did. So uh, that was a great story. Um, and we should probably try to talk some football now. Yes, we should definitely talk some football. Um, there's a few things we could we hit on, but there was something that really has kind of kept on. So you had said the other day you had, uh, you said on Saturday you had your daughter's first real softball game, right? And so I am still coaching my kids' football team. And one thing that, like, I thought about a bunch this weekend, and it's – you know, especially when it, as we're both similar staging and parenting. Um, and I wanted to ask you this question because it's, it's something that really kind of stayed with me this weekend, which is like basic. How has football changed your life? That's a pretty deep question to just, th just uh, throw at me like that. Yeah, um, I, I, but I want you to think about it on the fly because I'll start by explaining this. What I've noticed um, in my own self after covering football, whether it's college football or in general, for 25 plus years now, um, you know, and some of it is I've been fortunate. I've had good access to things. So I've been in locker rooms of speeches and different things and, you know, been at practices and heard different things. But what I cannot, um, you know, impress upon people enough is a lot of the quote, what like I think when we're in the media, there's a lot of people who will do this, and I'm sure I've done this at times where you feel like it's just coach speak and it's jaded and it's not, you know, whatever, and it just feels like it's cliche. But the reason why a lot of it is that way is because it those things are actually bigger than football. And where I'm going with this is like you know, I have these conversations and I'm mostly with my son, but certainly with my daughter too, and how these things carry over. And it's really amazing what you can kind of absorb um, where it turns into really parenting more than coaching. And it's weird because like, obviously you and I have both got our careers um, from football, right? Because if it wasn't still, we would have left the business or been shoved out of the business right um but the thing that is that i the more i realize and it's it, a little of this will tie to college basketball too because you know and this is kind of why i wanted to segue a little bit off of the purdue game where there was a post game in question that uh matt painter was was hit with and he just kind of really expounded on it in a way that like i think sometimes we think of things really um on the surface and don't realize what's behind it right and um you know for instance it took me a while to realize that college football programs after the coaches availability the coaches are back in the office after practice and they're watching film and they're pouring over every minute detail that's on there you know and it's like the day the day doesn't end for them when when we go home and I think the more we learn those lessons and the more we kind of 
are kind of rooted in that, I think it gives, I think there's a lot we can learn if that makes sense to you. Um, I, so I would ask you this because I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm speaking to the wall right now a little bit because I can't see your face and I, I can feel exasperated, but is there anything you have taken in your short time of a year and a half of coaching your daughter where you feel like it's something that you have gotten because of how, what your job is? And if the answer is no, that's oh, all good. I, I get it. No, I get it. I get it. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's this thing called chemistry, right? That comes up a lot when you're talking to coaches, um, when you're talking to players, frankly, where I think we have a tendency in football to, you know, football probably more than most sports, right? There's so many stats. There's so many stats. Um, there's so much uh, X's and O's to it, right? Like probably more than other sports that, it probably way more than other sports, uh, way more than other sports. Yeah. There's, there's like I, I actually we did behind the scenes at Illinois when they were undefeated, when they had D Brown and Darren mm -hmm. Williams, they were undefeated. And me and a couple of colleagues spent a week on the road with them. They spent like, I don't even know if they spent an hour doing a scouting report. Whereas with a football, you know, operation, it's so much more intensive into everything that goes into it. Obviously there's more games in college basketball, but it's just a different game. And also just like the way the games are broadcast, right? Like um, you watch a football game, let's, especially an NFL game. So much of what the analysts talk about is, okay, what did the quarterback see here? Oh, the defense was bringing this guy. Like, like, you know, they're really trying to go deep into what's to explain to you what's going on on the field. I'm watching the NCAA tournament this weekend, and, and granted, it's probably amplified in the NCAA tournament. They're not talking a lot about that. There, a lot of it is about the, the stories of the players, right? I feel like Jamie Erdahl was the MVP of the weekend. She she got so much, uh, she just so much happened at her site, and she had so many great interviews. But a lot of what the sideline reporters do at those games is tell you the stories of the players. Okay, so um, my point being, it's easy to forget that these are actually in football in particular, like they've got helmets over their faces. You don't see them. Um, they're just like, everybody's referred to as here's the blitzing cornerback or whatnot. They are real people. They have relationships with people the way you and I do. And what I see in softball and then granted you're talking, we're talking seven, eight, nine year olds. You know, we had our first practice. There were a few girls who knew each other from school or whatnot, but that was like little pockets. Most of them didn't know each other. Three weeks later, Friendships are forming there. They were coming up with chants in the dugout to cheer on their teammates. Like they're having fun. And granted, this is very, very youth level. But if you, you play it out to what you're talking about, I mean, on a much, much bigger scale, right? You could absolutely see where a football team that does way better. Let's take Tulane last year, right? A team that did way better than expected. Some of it was they had this ridiculous running back, and some of it is they got a really good coach. But I've had to guess if you were in the locker room every day, you would see a team that was really tight and really close. And then some of these teams that tank, and they're like, what, what's going on? Why is this team, you know, they were picked to win the Oklahoma last year. Like teams that picked to win the conference, and they're having a terrible season. Could be some bad chemistry in the locker room. And I think that stats don't always explain the full story. So 
Uh, I think that's where you were asking me, like where you wanted me to go with it was some sort of parallel between what I'm learning coaching kids and what I call it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more about the parenting lessons you can probably gleam from that as much as anything else. Um, well, what was cool for me this weekend in parenting was this is really the first year Madeline fully understands is getting into is excited about March Madness and her bracket. And uh, yesterday on Sunday, after watching these games for three days, she's like, Daddy, I want to play basketball. Shit, we don't have a basketball hoop. We have like a, you know, one of those toy basketball mm-hmm. hoops that go, go at this point, she's almost outgrown. And we played a full on, like, first was first one to 21, and then it became first one to 42. And, and she was um, mimicking the things that she had seen on the court, right? Uh, uh, straight up to like, I was shooting. We, I said, "Oh, you fouled me. I'm going to shoot a free throw." And she's like, "Okay, I guess that means I stand over here." So the things they absorb, you know, I think um, we don't we don't give nearly enough credit to. And you know, so to your point, like that's a that's a very micro example of that. But I think as she continues to play sports, and especially as the coach, I'm going to see more and more that she's taking the lessons from from the game and applying them to real life. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So there's a story I'm, I'm pretty excited that I worked on. It's running this week. And it's really, it's about coaching transitions. And um, it's something I started... You know, I've had conversations with with coaches on programs that did well and then programs that had dreadful consequences, meaning their staff, their head coach got fired midseason. And one of those programs is Nebraska. And it got me to thinking Scott Frost went from being having one of the greatest short term runs at UCF to one of the most disappointing um tenures in the last decade plus where you know i both thought he was going to be a great hire and it was everything it was as far from great as it could be pretty much and why does that happen right um you do coaching grades and especially when it gets to the to the um you know to the group of five stuff i'm like okay why are you giving this guy an a versus a b versus and and we're all guessing right but i think so much and talking to coaches who are been either been on staffs or actually been the head coach, it's really fascinating to dig into why did this work out and why did it not? Because a lot of it, way more than we probably ever realized, is timing. And it's what you inherited when you did. 
I mean, I had some like really fascinating stuff about, you know, Kevin Sumlin takes over for Mike Sherman and why it's so it's really um, a key point is who you replaced and what the dynamic was. Um, and so that I think also speaks to the chemistry. And I talked to guys who are captains on some of those teams of, you know, players that were inherited and why it worked and, and their perspective. And again, I think it, you know, to take a step back and try to tie this all together with the really broad question I asked you was when we did the top 25 coaches, it's, I think it's a really good exercise for us as, as college football fans because um, it forces you to kind of, it hopefully forces you to look at the game and look at the coaches and look at the teams in a different, through a different lens. And for me, that turned out to be, okay, you know, because we are wildly all over the board on why, you know, like two years ago, you didn't have Jim Harbaugh on your list, right? And probably five years ago, you probably had him third, right? I mean, Something and like now that, yeah. you have them fourth. And so it's like, how did this, or Jimbo Fisher, like at some point, I bet you had Jimbo Fisher in your top five, right? Oh, yeah. And now all of a sudden, I mean, you almost didn't have them at all. And I think what changes, you know, I said to you, and I've said this a bunch, use this term, I was like, it's not like they forgot how to coach, but there are a lot of things that go into it. And so when we talk about like you, I'm glad you, and we did not tee this up and say, Hey, Stu, I want you to use the word chemistry. And I didn't, you know, in that context of how you used it was not really the same way I was looking at it, but it really applies. And, um, you know, I, I think when we're seeing it in college basketball, like I go back to the Matt Painter explanation, somebody was like, well, are you, you know, like, how is this gonna, you know, how much are you going to talk about it? And his answer was like, it's not the talking, it's the work they're going to have to do. And it's the hurt that yeah. they're going to, it's like, it's got to motivate you to do that and to respond to it. And like, you know, hats off to him for standing there and, and whatever, any other questions on this, because it's obviously a, you know, an embarrassing moment if you're a coach to, to be on the other end of that, um, of the other side of the March Madness and all. So, I mean, those are things that I feel like I really love about sports and love about the job. And, it's a little challenging to articulate it, especially with, you know, me throwing it at you. And we probably come at it, honestly, from different. different Bruce really points. did throw that at me. I don't know. He just said, I've got something planned for the show. He didn't tell me what. And that was quite the deep question you threw at me. Um, well, it's weird because I'm looking at it. And granted, I'm looking at it at a different lens because maybe I'm dealing with a little bit older kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm also dealing with it like I am bouncing stuff off of coaches and be like, okay, you know, like. I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. Um, some of the stuff that I think can be very applicable because I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't, I don't think, um, your daughter's going to be the next Jenny Finch. And I don't think my son is going to be the next, um, the next Walter Payton. So, <laughs> so, but what you hope is the stuff that, you know, like you said, the friendships that they're probably going to have or that they are developing, but also, the experiences and how it carries over, I think is just like the lessons that, you know, again, there's so many great things that came from it. I go back to the, you know, Blake Peters, you know, yelling into the screen about that. Like after they did that, um, it just, 
it resonates, right? That's why I think we love sports. So there's a, you mentioned Scott Frost and, and how that went sideways. There was another example of that recently, maybe not quite as drastically. Tom Herman uh, wins a national championship as an OC at Ohio State, uh, the third string quarterback. He was, you know, that he helped get ready. Then he goes to Houston. He's only there two seasons. He turns Houston into kind of a national power. They beat Lamar Jackson on a Thursday night. They beat uh, Baker Mayfield. He gets the Texas job. LSU and Texas were, you know, fighting over him. Everybody wanted Tom Herman. And four years later, he's out. Um, Tom Herman now, he's been out of college coaching, been out of college coaching for two seasons, and he got the job this year at FAU. Speaking of, of March Madness, uh, March Madness darling FAU. Um, Chris Vanini, who was on this show a couple weeks ago, group of five guru, did a story on him. And I, I'm reading it, and you should go to The Athletic and read the story as well. And I, I don't know anything about FAU's personnel or, or whatnot, but I'm just thinking, I think he's going to do really well there. I think the Texas job, the, the unique pressure of being the Texas coach, uh, every little thing is magnified. Uh, it, it, I don't think he, he handled that well. But he also wasn't like going three and nine. I mean, he, the, the season he got fired off of, they finished in the top 25. It just wasn't the, you know, it wasn't as, he didn't turn him into a national championship contender, which is what Texas fans expect. So I would be curious your perspective. He's been away two years. He seems recharged and he's coaching at a place where Lane Kiffin won. You can win there. Um, you're in a great area for football recruiting but you're also not under the magnifying glass of the Texas Longhorns. So I would ask you, you said, I think he's going to do very well there. Is very well win the same, about roughly the same as what Lane Kiffin did? Lane Kiffin won two conference titles in three years. So, you know, I, I don't know enough about, by the way, FAU is moving up to the AAC this year, right? So they're going to be. It's going to be harder for them to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I would think there'll be a transition period there. You're going, granted, it's not the Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, uh, AAC. It's gonna be it's gonna be um, more like Conference USA, but you've still got Memphis in there. That's a good program. You still got Tulane, uh, who's doing Tulane's well. Tulane's still there, but I think he could. I mean, I I I think he could win a. Well, let me stop short of that. He didn't actually win the conference title with Houston, did he? Um, no. I think he can get them a lot better um have them in the mix to win that conference within a couple years and i have to assume if he does do well there he'll get another shot at a power five yeah i mean i've known tom herman for a long long time dating back to his ga days at texas even so it's a really long time um i'm like i'm curious what wh where he's at um mentally emotionally right now in his career because he was like a rocket ship that took off you know he was so some of the stuff that i think ended up costing his job at texas i don't think this was just wins and losses there was a lot of awkward things that end up like probably you know talking to people at texas where like they don't really trust him he kind of lost the team before mm -hmm. they made that you know move we did some of the games there and i think that was hard and i think some of it was the management of people 
and whether that includes staff or that includes players. And so, you know, Tom Harmon's really smart. No one's, I mean, that's something that's been said long before he became a head coach. Um, it is an interesting thing. And, and, you know, I'm glad Chris got out in front on this story. I, I be honest, I have no idea how this is going to go, you know, um, because you just, you know, you're right. Lane won there. I think you can win there. Um, but like, I think it's like how he manages stuff and hopefully coach, you know, you know, I don't say matured, but hopefully, you know, you keep evolving and you know, how it, how that comes through because like it almost like it imploded at Texas. You know, he had that year where I think they beat, I think it was 2018 was the year they beat um, Georgia in the sugar bowl and they finished in the top 10, you know, and I feel like, and maybe this is an oversimplification, but I feel like Sam Ellinger really kept the program together because of his, not just for his character, but I feel like it was kind of wobbly for a bit and Sam was not Joe Burrow, but he was still a really good college quarterback. Um, and then it just started to kind of come apart at the seams. It feel it felt like, and so now he's in a way different place. He's got some familiar faces on his staff, you know, who know him and, and, um, I don't know. I mean, what did you like, like, again, I think the question is going to be, you know, how much he's grown from there. I think if it's the Tom Herman from Texas, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to go as, you know, he's going to have the success Lane Kiffin has. No, first of all, to to the point. It's got to be 2.0. Well, to your point earlier about coaches, don't forget how to coach. I mean, I think one thing that doesn't get nearly enough. um, I think we don't, we, so these college basketball teams are March Madness, right? It's 13 players, couple managers. I think they have three full-time assistants. The sheer amount of people that the head coach of a power five program is responsible for is just staggering. It's probably between the players, the coaches, the support staff, blah, blah, blah. Like it's like 150 people, right. That you're in charge of. And, um, you know, I think I, what you were driving at there. I mean, what I saw, I saw him kind of flip his personality, right. From being kind of the fun loving, um, you know, remember Houston, (laughs) They made a big deal out of it. I've seen like every game that was on TV about how he would give a, a, a hug and a kiss to every player that came off the, the bus before the game. It felt like at Texas, right from the beginning, he became like an uh, like an authoritarian. Like it was just much more. Um, it was just it was just like a one eighty. So all I what I one of the things I gleaned from his from Chris's story is that he's kind of back to being. He took them to the beach uh, in Boca. Uh, he's dancing at practice. Like, I think he might be if he, if without the high expectations, without the pressure cooker, um, he might be more himself. I don't think he was himself at Texas. I think he was trying to be something that he thought that program needed. Like that program has been, has had this country club reputation, right? Going back to the end of the Mac Brown era. And I guess he thought they needed a kick in the butt. And like you said, like, I don't think, I think he kind of turned off a lot of people behind the scenes, including his own players by the end of it. I think, 
I think one of the things that's going to be interesting in what you said about be himself, Tom Herman has one of the, has a unique quality in coaching. Like, do you remember that there was an episode, the Seinfeld episode where there was a woman that he was dating who looked like, who like always looked different, like three different people, depending on the lighting. Like Tom Herman is a little like that, where you look at pictures of him and it's like, he doesn't quite look the same. <laughs> you know, he's like, he he's... never looks the same in two pictures. It's the craziest thing. It's a, it's a phenomenon to the point where Chris Vanini tweeted out a picture where Drew Locke, you remember the backpack thing? Yeah. Uh, stopped by an FAU practice. And, you know, he said like, you know, they, they've made up. And the picture, I guess, is a picture of Drew Locke, who I recognize, and, and Tom Herman. But I'm like, is that really Tom Herman? He never looks the same in two pictures. He doesn't. And I, I think, and it's been that way for a while, especially, you know, from Houston to Texas, and then going beyond, especially his time at Texas. But I think the thing is, it's not, it's not, it's kind of connected. It's like, okay, who is Tom Herman? And what, you know, like, who actually is Tom Herman, right? Um, and I think, you know, look, I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, it's, it, I, I, he has some really good assistants he put together on the staff, you know, and I think, I think it'll help David Beatty, who's like his receivers coach has been a head coach in a really dire situation because he took over after Charlie Weiss at Kansas. He knows him really well. I mean, what's interesting on top of that is Ed Warner, who was the O-line coach at Ohio State. Um, and that was, you know, like that staff back then, remember that was in the Zach Smith days, you know, that was a rocky ride coming out of there. And Ed Warner's a good old line coach though, you know, so, um, I'm, I'm really interested to see how this plays out. All right. Well, then we got another coach who's got the ultimate rebuilding job and that's Dion coach prime. He, they had their first spring practice, I believe on Sunday, um, this Colorado sent out a clip of his press conference. I watched it. He's wearing a big cowboy hat because he's into Yellowstone right now. Um, you know, we've, I know we've talked about this before about the Dion effect there, but somebody brought up to him and he didn't realize it. ESPN is only showing one spring game of any school on their main channel this spring. And it's Colorado, uh, not Alabama, not Georgia, who they are showing on some, on another channel, Colorado. I saw one of the reporters tweet, that they've sold 30,000 season uh, season 30,000 tickets to the Colorado spring game already. Last year there were like 1800 fans in the stands. It's just amazing how much um, attention and excitement he has created before he actually coaches a first game. Now, haven't seen the players, haven't seen the team. Uh, that was probably the only part of the press conference where he did go into coach speak talking about, oh, you know, they got a lot of work to do. They got to get used to our tempo, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I would ask you, I don't remember the date. Will you watch Colorado spring game when it comes on TV? Absolutely, I will. Um, yeah. And I will wa definitely watch Colorado's opener at TCU. Um, so here's what I think is going to be like them. I, I think they are going to end up somewhere like – Jed Fish's first year and his second year, which the first year was like really rough. The second year they were they were like a dangerous team, right? And they were, you know, were they five and seven? But they they had some they had some talent. I feel like they will be close to that what Arizona was last year. Um, but you look at the first 
five games they have. I'm going to read them to it's you. Rough. At TC, at TCU, who's rebuilding. Then they're home to Nebraska. It's a fun little old rivalry game, but Nebraska is definitely rebuilding. Colorado State at Oregon and USC. Do you think it's realistic? Because I think they should beat CSU. What chance do you give them of getting through that three and two? It's so hard to say because just don't know, you know, how good is his son? Is he like a transformative quarterback? You know, his son, um, what will be different for him is usually his son has had more talent than the teams he's playing. And, you know, certainly against Oregon and USC, that's not going to be the case. It's probably not going to be the case against TCU, but TCU lost a lot of really good players. They're going to have to go chase Chandler Morris around and he's good and they'd still have some speed, but, and it's on the road, but that's kind of a a homecoming of sorts for Dion because we know his ties to that area. Yeah, I'd be highly surprised if they make it through that with a winning record. I think you beat Colorado State, Nebraska, you know, kind of depends on how quickly they're rebuilding. They're not, I just seriously doubt they're going to beat any of those three other TCU, the team that went to the national championship game last year, uh, or USC or Oregon. Um, I think you're right about the, the trajectory that they'll probably have a pretty rough first year and then they could get a lot better like Arizona did. But I think the ceiling is higher. Than Arizona, like I don't think they have to settle for five and seven in the second year because Dion's recruiting a higher caliber of players than than Jed Fish was able to do, and Jed Fish actually recruited pretty well and got some big transfers in. But I mean, he didn't get Travis Hunter. Uh, you know, no, but he getting... did have arguably the best receiver on the West Coast. Tedero McMillan was a guy everybody wanted. But I would think by year two, Dion will have ten of those guys. You know, and then a lot of other uh, good players beneath that. So, I it's way too early to say what they might do in twenty twenty four, but I do think that the ceiling is like I, Arizona went season went almost exactly as I predicted it would. I thought they would. I think I might have picked them to go five and seven. Um, I knew from the transfers coming in, from the freshman class, from the quarterback Jaden Delora, that they were going to be a lot better, and I would expect a similar. Leap. It'll be interesting though if Colorado goes three and nine this year, which probably is more realistic than some other things. Will all the Dion buzz wear off, or will people just kind of be realistic about it and say, you know, he needed a year, and let's see what he does in year two? Um, who knows what other high name, high profile transfers or recruits he will have brought in by then? Um, but uh, but thirty thousand tickets to the spring game is just incredible um espn showing their spring game a, a team that was an uncompetitive uncompetitive one in 11 last year suddenly is on main espn for the spring game what a what a what a world we live in by the way you're not about the photos i'm looking at tom herman's picture in our athletic story for chris vanini's piece tom herman looks like a, a younger mark d'antonio in the picture Okay, yeah, I mean that's not a look he's he's exhibited before, but I know he's lost, he's slimmed down uh, since he was last at Texas, so he could he could look about just about anybody right now. We do not have mailbag questions this week, and I think it's our fault. We've answered so few of them recently that you guys have just plain stopped sending them. So I'm putting out a call: theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Full blown mailbag segment next next week, promise, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.